knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Heeves. Welcome back to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heeves. Thank you for returning to listen. We are here to become better habitat managers. I have my co-host, Brian Hallbly, over there. What's up, B? What's going on, buddy? Looks like spring's finally here. Yeah, you know it, man. Another um, March evening at 11 o'clock at night, you know, busting out podcasts, talking to you. (laughs) Yeah, we had some pretty good weather, though, so get the spirits up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I actually got out this weekend. Um, I haven't posted the video yet, but I, I did some scouting on a bedding area I created last March, and um, some really good improvements in there for uh, buck beds and browse activity, you know, a year later. It's pretty awesome. So I'm going to share that on our social media. I did some frost seeding and sprayed uh, cinnazine for my switchgrass. Um, what have you been up to? I know you got down to the lease, and I think you're going again soon, right? Yeah, I was down there last week. Same boat as you. I got some video I got to get uploaded. Uh, haven't found any sheds yet, which is not unusual for me, being the world's worst shed hunter. But still out there scouting and, you know, trying to find out where all these big bucks are hiding down in the Golden Triangle here. So, Yeah, I watched all your videos you sent in that group text. Uh, it probably looks pretty good. I would yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty I would pumped. not be upset to slide down there and maybe trespass while you guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you 
No, but it, it does look really cool, and you got your your container set up there. I mean, you're you're making a stake or staking a claim or however they say that. Yeah, yeah. The the landowner seems to be um, pretty decent and working with us, and sounds like this is going to be a long term thing. So fingers so crossed. Cool. Uh, Chris Hanbury and I are heading down there tomorrow. Uh, going to get the banks blind out of my backyard, which my wife is very happy about, and uh, make plans on where we're going to set that thing up. You know, just because your kids are in college and, and high school doesn't mean you can't have a fort in the backyard, okay? That's right. Their swing set that I built them is still back there, so kind exactly. of fit, fit real nice. You know, I, I tell my wife that all the time, my 40-foot pole barn, I said, that's the kid's fort. Don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> you know? It's Love it. A little bit bigger, but maybe we should get Jordan from Illinois out to your property uh, to try to find some sheds because that guy can spot him from a pickup truck at 300 yards away. So Yeah, healthy, hurt, surgery, no surgery, he finds him. It doesn't matter. Doesn't yeah. even have to get out of the truck. Nope, and, and you know, speaking of, of sheds, the episode we're about to launch here on this on this podcast is is a good one. We talked to uh, Scott Buckley from Michigan, uh, now an I'm sorry, Illinois, an Iowa resident. He skipped Illinois and went straight to Iowa. And uh, this is a good episode, B. We just recorded it. You know, how do you feel? Well, I think our listeners are going to love it. Like the rest of them, we just keep getting blessed with some amazing guests and uh, just a down-to-earth guy that Busted his rear end to get where he's at, started in Michigan, fell in love with the outdoors growing up, and moved on to greener pastures in Iowa. No offense to the Michigan guys, but, you know, I think you said it during the podcast, the Michigan or Pennsylvania boy's dream to head out there and take advantage of the situation that he's in. Well said. No, well said. It's uh, Scott's a great guy, guys. we got Scott Buckley from, from Iowa. He owns uh, a good farm out there in southeast Iowa, a public land killer, um, shed hunter extraordinaire, habitat coyote manager. killer. Yeah, yeah, coyote killer. Yeah, he's um, all around a good guy, and he knows a lot of guys um, that I'm kind of pseudo-connected with on Facebook in here in Michigan. So I've been watching him on Facebook. I've been friends with him for years, and um, I didn't know he was from Michigan forever. So it seems uh, – fitting that he's on and um it's a good podcast for scouting you know your winter scouting your shed hunting your you talk about his do's and don'ts what he did right what he did wrong in his property um working with neighbors crp the whole thing guys so a great episode here with scott buckley and um i look forward to, to showing it to you um brian it's, i'm good to hear that you're getting out to your lease here Tomorrow, I wish you luck out there. And, Appreciate um, it. You know, big bucks to come, 134-inch buck to come. <laughs> yeah, we're calling it on that one. That would be something for sure. I want to urge our listeners here, before we get into oak wilt season and, and forestry season or hinchcut seasons out the door, to check out the Habitat Hook from Nick Nation over at nationscreations.net. Um, Nick's been a partner of our show since the beginning, guys. If you're out there doing timber work like we are, um, bring your habitat hook. Check them out. I use that for hinge cutting, 
for felling, for blockading, anything I'm doing with a chainsaw. Um, I was even just clearing brush the other day. I wish I had it. I didn't bring it because I was clearing some autumn olive. Um, close your ears, Corey. And uh, I, I was cutting some autumn olive down. Al would be happy. But um, I wish I would have had it. I was getting ate up by these prickers. Anyways, guys, it's a good Michigan-made company. Check them out, nationscreations.net with a Habitat hook. I also want to thank our other sponsors. We have Killer Food Plots, Packer Mask Cult Packers, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Morse Nursery, HuntWise, and Realtree United Country Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. Guys, thanks so much. So here is Scott Buckley from Iowa. As far as uh, weather, are you guys having the nice like 68 degree day we had today or whatever it was? No, it was cool here because yeah, it, it was rainy here. Um, so we I think we stayed down and I don't I think it was low 50s here. It's been we've had quite a bit of rain the last two days and cloudy and wind and that's kind of kept the temps down. It's going back up into 60. I think 57 Friday and sunny and sun's coming. Then from Saturday, Sunday, my family's coming down from Michigan, hang out, scout, shed hunt. Yeah, it's gonna. I looked. It's gonna be mid 60s and sunny for the next few days after that. So that'll be nice. What? Heck, heck yeah, man. And, and Brian, how about you? How's the weather by you today? Yeah, it got up in the mid 70s, and they're talking about oh, 76 wow. for tomorrow. Oh shoot! So. Yeah, that's, that's nice. good. It looks like all yep. six high 60s and a couple days in the 50s for the next two weeks. Doesn't look like it's going to get very cold. Oh yeah. Heck yeah. Well, you know, speaking of, we had we had 68 degree weather here today, maybe 67, something like that. It was awesome. Um, and Scott, you're you're originally from Michigan, right? Do you mind kind of getting us rolling here and? Kind of talk yep. about we, who you are, where you're from, all that good stuff? Yep, definitely. Yep, Scott Buckley. Um, I've been in Iowa 12 years now. Um, originally from Port here in Michigan, over on the east side, born and raised there. Um, lived there 42 years, I guess. Um, just moved, I used to come out here, kind of my story how I came to Iowa. I, I used to... Oh, you know, hunting as a child, and I loved it in Michigan, the traditional hunting. We just pretty much shot whatever, you know, yearling bucks was about all we had in my area. If you got a 100-inch deer, it it was a true trophy, especially in the area I was in in Michigan. And and, um, so I started as probably mid-20s, kind of started going to different states. Um, Kansas was where I took my biggest, my first, biggest buck and that kind of got me hooked on the the trophy aspect i went to some public land in kansas probably i don't know if i was 27 26 27 shot 147 inch deer and and from there i was hooked i just started going different states ohio i picked up you know i was going down there getting permission um i think i first started in ohio down in vinton county went down there with some friends yeah um Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Went around Vinton and Ross, and then, and then I ended up. Um, I settled into Muskegon County and like the southern Muskegon and northern Morgan County down there. We 
we hunt, we had property, we had permission and hunted there for a while. And actually I did some sub- suburban hunting kind of right outside of, um, um, Zanes, yeah, Zanesville, it's right there. Yep. Zanesville it yeah. was. And, um, yep. Um, did a lot of that and that kind of, and then, and then I would put in for my non-resident Iowa points. And back then, I think a couple years we could get drawn. Now you guys got to wait four or five years to come on out, but <laughs> it's going on five years, I think for Bo. Yeah. But it is, yeah. so, yeah, I loved it out here. Um, so I said, you know, I would love to retire in Iowa. I just love the, the Midwest mentality. Um, you know, it's not as fast paced as where I was in Michigan, just everybody's hundred miles an hour and, and I said I'd like to retire out here. People were so much friendlier and it was just you know, I love the rolling hills and just the hunting, just everything about it. Well, when our economy took a dive in two thousand eight <clears throat> I was in construction, residential, worked on new homes and um I worked for a lot of builders, more of a subcontractor, and and builders were going under right and left, and subdivisions, you know, houses being foreclosed on, and our construction just became a mess. And that that was in '08, you know, and the whole country had a downturn there, and Michigan was especially bad, especially on my side, the east side, where all the auto plants were out of Detroit. I was Port Huron's hour north of Detroit, and. Um, so we got hit really hard, and, and I thought, well, this is my opportunity to go to Iowa. And I knew they just had a major – they had like a 100-year flood in 2008 where, like, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa City area, 5,000 homes um, were damaged or just destroyed by the floods and, I don't know, hundreds of businesses. There was like five, six industries that were just underwater and I thought well that kind of gave me a chance maybe I get it out get my foot in the door you know there's gonna be a lot of rebuilding to do and stuff so I came out in the spring of 2009 and and um went to some builder shows talked to some builders and one called me that memorial day and I, I just packed up everything I had and came on out my tool trailer and came out I my girlfriend stayed with the kids and and that's kind of you know, I was going to wait for retirement, but <laughs> that was a good opportunity when the economy went to heck just to come on out. So, um, yep, and, and here I am, you know, 12 years later, and, and it's the best thing I ever did. I'll never – I miss my family. That's my biggest thing. But, I, you know, I taught my mom and dad still healthy, and I call them every day almost. And But so, oh, yeah, I came out. You. Yeah, and I was a public land hunter, you know, because that's kind of what I did. So I was hitting the public land hard for, you know, for years, and I was successful. I killed a lot of big deer on Iowa public, and I quit my traveling then because I spent so much time in, you know, in Iowa here on the public. And and I hunted public quite a few years, and five years ago, you know, I'm getting up to age. I'm going on mid-50s. You know, this is hard work. Um, public land, you know, be successful. It is a lot of work, and you know, you haul your stands in and out, and you got to, you know, walk a mile back in. It's just hard work. So I thought it was a time in my life where 
you know, I invest in some property and, and I'd been saving for years for down payment. And, um, I was able to purchase, um, 240 acres in Southern Iowa and, um, has a little house on it and a couple outbuildings and we have six ponds on it. One I built, we'll talk about that later, kind of why I did it and stuff, but, um, it's been my dream, you know, not, and I, that's where I've learned a lot of my habitat work. You know, I've listened to numerous podcasts, just everything on habitat improvement. I was kind of a rookie um, going into this. I did some light food plot work in Ohio, you know, just some rough clover plots, but nothing like I do now. I mean, we can. I've learned a lot about herbicides and just, you know, um, yeah. hinge cutting and just, you know, all kinds of different things we've done. I'm down there almost every weekend. My house is two hours from my farm, but we go down almost every Friday evening. And my nice. boy, luckily, he's living with me, and we do a ton of work. So that's kind of my history and me buying the farm. And No, that's yeah. awesome, Scott. That's like the uh... – Michigan, Pennsylvania, New York, Hunter's dream story. Like like Absolutely. the fairy tale, right? I mean yeah. I, I guess I guess to your to your one point, which would be similar to all of our points, um how how do you deal with it moving away from the family back in Michigan and uh or let's say we we're in Pennsylvania or New York, wherever we, we moved from. I didn't I didn't touch you up for this question, so sorry for the curveball, but you know what is it? Is it manageable? Do you go back and visit all the time? Like, like what's the what's the way that yeah. you make it work? You know what I'm saying? Um, the biggest thing. I mean, I go back too, but I, you know, I keep constant communication with my family. Um, like my mom, she's just went through a little sick spell, and my sister actually has COVID right now. So actually, I. Me and my sister, you know, we're close, but we don't communicate. Well, well, since she's been sick, I've been, you know, texting her, talking to her every day. Where my mom, you know, once, once, twice a week, and she just went through a little sickness. I call her every single day, and so, nice. you know, Very that cool. phone communication. And we've always had a real tight family, and and my brother. I have two siblings, and 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 my parents, and you know, I talk to my brother once or twice a week. Where he's like. I've never had like a, I've had a couple in the past, um, you know, like a best friend hunting buddy that I travel everywhere with. Um, my brother is, is that guy, even though, um, you know, he lived in Michigan. He's kind of like my, my hunting friend, you know, we, I call him all the time. We just BS about hunting and, you know, what we did for the weekend and what we found for sheds and, and just like him, he he only gets drawed. He likes his archery every four or five years, but he still comes out every single fall just because he loves it here so much. And he'll, you know, we usually got different groups of guys, two or three guys that apply and, you know, get drawed every year. And um, um, he'll come out with that group of guys, you know, just kind of show them around some of the public areas. And, and then he just scouts. You know, he just, like, he's coming down this weekend. We're going to do a little shed hunting, but his main purpose is, you know, just to scout scout the public land areas. So um, my dad's coming out, too. I haven't seen him since June. This is the first Christmas. I didn't go home just because of all the 
the COVID and stuff. And, you know, I just, it was pretty heavy then. And I, um, well, I guess I could use that excuse so I could stay here and hunt a late season <laughs> buck I was after, but. <laughs> hey, I, I don't think you're the first guy to use COVID as an excuse to, uh, to go hunt. Things, so, no way. I used it but. multiple times last year. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, that's, that's but yeah, awesome, that's man. how I kind of, yeah, how I keep in touch. And I still go, I mean, usually on a regular, I've used the same tax preparer, tax accountant for the last 25, 30 years. So I usually go home tax season. Um, that gives me time to go home Christmas time. Um, and then we've had, my sisters had a bunch of kids graduate. And so two, three times a year, I usually make it home. Or, you know, my family tries to come out here, my immediate family. So. That's kind of how we how we manage, um, you know. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I mean, you're you're making it work, and um, you know, with with all the technology these days and COVID, we all prove that you know a lot of people can work and communicate without you know or, or with technology oh, yeah. without going to see each other. So it's kind of nice having that FaceTime and all that good stuff, you know. Yeah. So, um. So, but speaking of shed hunting. Uh, you guys have been doing some shed hunting down there. How's it been going? I know we haven't talked Good. about that yet on the podcast this year. I mean, I've been on a little bit of my property. <clears throat> I'm at a zero here in Michigan. Uh, Brian, oh, yeah. you catch anything yet or see anything yet? No, I haven't put in a ton of time, but I put a few miles in Pennsylvania and a couple down the Ohio lease and just haven't come across anything yet, but haven't really put in a ton of time. So, not, yeah, not Where's your old? Where's your Ohio lease at, if you don't mind? Uh, not far from where you were just talking about. It's just oh, really? Zanesville. Yep. Just oh yeah. Gonna, uh, yep. Yeah, that's oh. where we used to kind of kind of down on the county line there. We had permission, kind of not far from the Muskegon River down in there, was where we hunted yeah. for a few years. But yep, good area. Yeah, we got some nice bucks. I just got it. I just picked this place up. Uh, last October, so it was kind of late in the season, but I didn't want to pass it up. And we got oh, yeah. uh, pro- probably probably three shooters on there, and uh, oh, good. I had a couple I had a couple guys on it last year, and they didn't kill anything. So hopefully, yeah. a couple of them made it. Yeah, good. Yeah, shed hunting for me has been going good. Um, pretty typical year. Um, this. We're finding the numbers of them. Um, the, the size is still down a little because we got hit so hard a um, year and a half ago from EHB. Um, but I think on my property, we haven't walked like the drainages and ditches and big, you know, the brushy areas. We we mainly drove around on quads and, you know, what we could pick up that way. We've we're, I think we're mid-20s to... High 20 is just on my place there. Um, wow. Yeah, public land where we hunt, we've picked up 15, 18 or 19 on public land down in there on probably about five five different, you know, days. Um, just putting on the miles, you know. Um, concentrating around on public land, I concentrate around – my biggest thing is food plots. The DNR will do a lot of food plots in, in Iowa, at least in the areas I'm hunting. 
Um, we just kind of get on Onyx maps and kind of see where the, you know, where it looks like a food plot. They don't put them in the same areas every year, but because you kind of got to work for it. You know, they used to years ago. I, I know know the guy that works at the DNR station, plants them, a friend, good friend of mine, and they used to tell you where all the food plots are, and then they made a policy. Well, that's kind of, you know, they want people to work for it, you know, so oh, they nice. quit telling people, yeah, so you could. You know, otherwise you just everybody call and they all go to the same spot. You know, <laughs> so yeah, now you got to work for it, hunting and everything. But yeah, that's kind of what I concentrate on public. That's where we found most of them around food sources. Now some areas don't have them, food plots. So we just do the traditional. My favorite is bedding areas. I would say we find most of my sheds on south facing. You know, hills, um, preferably, I mean, the ideal situation is a grassy hillside in a timber with cedars, you know, all through it. I mean, <laughs> you're just, if there's bucks in the area, they're going to be dropping their horns in them grassy cedary areas on, uh, you know, on the south-facing slopes over top of, so that yeah, north yeah, wind yeah. coming over, it kind of hides them from there. That's where we're finding most of them. Um, even around the food sources, most of them are on the south side. We'll find occasional one, you know, in a food plot, um, public land. Now, private land, my own land. I mean, we find a scattering them in the food plot. Um, but I would say a lot of them, too, are in bedding areas or, you know, a couple here and there on a trail. But I, I, I've always preferred the bedding areas um my my property don't have a lot of south south facing slopes so um but we you know we find well like i said we uh, there were there's been a couple years where i'm at high 20s now on that place but well a couple years we found 50 60 sheds just on my place um Two years ago, I think we found 60. But then we were supplemental feeding, too. We had our food plots, but I'd buy some corn, and we put it out on the property after season to kind of keep them in there. Um, last year, I did the same thing. Bean field lasted probably till the end of January. And then I knew the guys from – friends with the guys from Exodus, they came out this spring so I kind of kept extra corn on just so we'd have you know more sheds to find and and they came out last March and we we they videoed our, our shed hunt and I think we found 30 some that day they came out um but this this year we did I didn't do the supplemental feeding I just I don't I just wanted to save some money corn went up and you know, work with the cold weather. We did end up getting a little bit of corn and then some alfalfa. Um, this first time I tried when that real cold spell hit, I bought some bales of alfalfa, a little corn we put out. Just kind, of, I couldn't drive out in the fields anywhere, so we just dumped it by my house right in the driveway, pretty much. You know, just something to help the deer. And that was another thing I did. We were some of our ponds, the silver maples and willows had grown up so bad along the dike from years of not taking care of them, we ended up waiting, you know, there was ice, so we ended up cleaning up two, three of them dikes this year, 
during that cold spell, we knocked them down with chainsaws, and that provided just a ton of browse for the deer, too. I mean, we were dropping trees, and, and that night we put cameras on our on the, you know, some right behind my house and some further back. And, yeah, immediately, I mean, deer, just tons of deer were coming in and hitting that browse. And um, we actually yeah. put some alfalfa, alfalfa bales kind of right up with them, with the, you know, them down trees. And, um, um, yeah, they were hammering that. Yep, that was the first time I, you know, actually cut trees down. I mean, with the purpose of cleaning the ponds, but also for the, you know, the deer. Um, I figured, you know, there isn't nothing better than browse in the wintertime. You know, it's natural for them. And um, so, yeah, that worked really good. But, yeah, and, and then I found a few sheds on my – I got 23 acres um, kind of up where I live, too. That's pretty much timber, and we have permission on, on the whole 86-acre farm. And we found a few sheds here. In fact, yesterday I went out. We got a rain day. I found five of them. Um scattered out here and i think my boy we've probably got about 10 sheds here so yeah we're we're up to about 50 or so this year so that's amazing um especially compared to brian and i's total together yeah it's 50, it's 50 less than you uh <laughs> so, so, you, so you mentioned the, the the type of habitat that you're looking in whether it's public or private um you're you're around food sources or, or bedding areas so is, yeah, basically. Is that right? yeah. That, that's a good tip for the listeners. Is there any other tip that you'd recommend for maybe shed hunting this spring yet? I mean, um, any um, other spots? Some my boy brought up. Uh, we were talking about it earlier. Um, like in some public land areas where there's no food around, and, and I have found sheds quite consistently. I mean, I don't know if – I don't think you have them that much out east, but maybe you do. I don't remember them in Michigan, but we come in – we got a lot of honey locusts out here. They have them pods on them, honey um, – Yeah. Big, long pods, yep. We yeah. And they – a lot of them will grow in groves. They'll be honey locust groves, we call them. And, that, and, I mean, numerous times over the years, I've been sitting in deer will just come in and scarf them things up. Well, that's a – awesome winter food and they tend to grow on the sunny slopes a lot and we have found a lot of sheds over the over the years in these honey locust groves um you know because there's not much food out there if you don't have a food source around and that's one thing you know them honey locusts always got pods dropping and that's kind of a, a tip that's also a good tip for late season muzzleload hunting too if you can find you know out here in Iowa, you got groves of them where they just, yeah, they'll, you know, there'll be like a hillside just full of them. And kind of sometimes they're mixed in with the Osage orange or um, hedge apple, whatever you call them, you know, just that scrubby old pasture type stuff. And, yeah, the deer, um, yeah, love them pods. It's find a lot of them in there. And um, that's, a, that's a great point you bring up. And kind of moving, you know, into the the scouting side of things we talked about scouting a couple of weeks back with with al and sam on on a podcast um you know winter scouting i did some this last weekend on my farm i found you know a ton of rubs and beds it was just good intel to to do right now so your comment yep. about lo- locating these locust uh you know thickets or or whatever uh great to to scout right now too are you are you scouting while you're shot hunting too and scouting your oh farm yeah and that's <laughs> 
that's my primary focus, especially on public. Um, cause I'm still, even though I got my property, I still, I still a public man through and through. I, I mean, I get, you know, I got 240 acres, but I'm, I'm a kind of guy that needs thousands of acres. I just, I love to scout. I love to put, put in the miles. I always want to find that, you know, find that spot that nobody's been in. I've been everywhere on my property. So I'm always just, just traveling and I love it. This, that's kind of what I did this year is we, our EHD hit us so bad. I said, I'm going to shoot a public land deer again this year. It's been two, three years. Well, 2018, I shot two big ones on public. But, and so I didn't even bow hunt my property this year except to shoot does. And, you know, I went, killed one that was probably pushing 160 on public. And, um, <clears throat> um, yeah, so yeah, back to what we talked about. Um, yeah, scouting versus shed hunting. My boy, you know, he's young. He's gun ho about sheds. Just go, 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 find sheds. And I'm, I'm having to slow him down. We were in one of my best public land spots last weekend. And I said, just slow down. I said, we're here to scout. I said, I probably won't make it back up here again. Maybe turkey season. I got to find some trees for this <laughs> fall because I know there's some giant deer up here, you know, and you just, you just slow down. He's He just wants to go, go, go. But my main purpose, and I knew there wasn't crops in that area, so we weren't going to find I even told him, we probably won't find any sheds. My purpose is coming up here is scouting, and a shed is a, you know, is a plus. And um, that's kind of, you know, with my farm now, I don't have endless time to scout public land because there's so much work on my farm. You know, we're just constantly working. And that's kind of what we're transitioning over to now this this week. We're going to start, you know, prepping things. And so shit is going to slow down on the public land for us. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, my primary purpose, sheds are nice and, they're fun to find and give you a little intel. I, I find most of these bucks off cameras anyway, you know, but um, it's scouting is my biggest thing. And, um, you know, cameras, I run cameras um, pretty much year round on the public, public lands on, on areas I hunted. I had them out, you know, from July till March, moved them around a little bit. In January after season, more of a, you know, trails or, you know, bedding areas. Um, and then some areas on public where I knew there was food, I just took cameras out after deer season. Like our deer season gets over January 10th. Put them around some of these food sources just to see what bucks were around. Then we pulled them, you know, as we'd been going in shed hunting March and got a lot of intel. Um, you know, not saying that big buck is going to be there, you know, come the fall, but at least I know he's in the area and it'll give me a starting point. It'll give me geeked up to get some cameras out this summer and see if he's there, you know, kind of that type of thing. It, it, you know, just every most in, more intel I can get the better. So. So when you're setting up on these, uh, public spots going out for the first time what what are you keen on are you a are you a bed type of guy you like to find where they're bedding or do you like to uh concentrate on some other terrain features and such um it depends depends on the time of the year um 
Let's say October. Um, I killed some really good bucks in October. I I did hunt the early. We have early muzzleload season here in October, and oh, let's say that tight time of year, the middle, like when it's the October law. Everybody talks about that's when our muzzleloader season usually the. I don't know. It's, it varies by the year, but the middle of October through the third week. Pro- usually then I'm pretty close to a bedding area because I know them big ones ain't going to get out of a bed until, you know, last light or it depends if it's cold front, they'll get out a little earlier. Um, right. But I, I'm keying in probably more on bedding areas that time of year. Um a lot of them are traditional bedding areas that I know of, um, you know, over the years go in this time of year and you can just, you can see the bed, you can just tore up with big rubs. I don't base everything I got off big rubs either. I've killed some big deer that they just don't leave big rubs in areas. I don't know, you know, more of a traveler, they come into rut. Sure. Um, but, um, October, I guess, is more bedding area. I'm not a hardcore, you know, Dan Infold or something, you know, that I have to be on top of that bed guy. Right. But um, I'm, you know, hunting bedding area is pretty much October. Nor November, maybe the end of October, I would say more of a scrape guy, Octo- end of October. um Camera intel's real nice, and to see what bucks are working, you know what, but more scrapes, um, you know, just in buck areas, you know, like years past, a lot of a lot of rutting sign, rub scrapes, you know, yeah, scrapes are great that last week of October. I try to try to work them the best I can <clears throat> uh, if I'm in public. Usually, as a rule, but not all the times, I, I try to go really deep. Um, but it depends on the area. If it's a really rough terrain, sometimes you don't have to go real far because it keeps most of the people out. But it just seems like every year more and more people on public. So I just try to avoid the people, you know, whether it be rough terrain and get a half a mile or, or simple terrain and get a mile, mile and a half back. Um. Rut, rut time, I don't know. I just kind of get out there. They're just so sporadic. It's <laughs> sure. More terrain, I guess. Get just. I, I'm more of a timber guy, and especially in public. I don't sit field edges in public um, just because that's where most of the human pressure is. And um, I, I, I'll go in, like, in the rut. If I'm hunting, like, have a week or so time, and I know there's – I got cameras telling me there's a big one in there. I kind of start, oh, like a, on the edges of the cover. I'll still be in the timber on the edges. And as the week goes on, I get more aggressive, kind of move into that core area where, you know, where I – better chances. I hate going right in the middle of something right off the go. I know some guys are more aggressive than me, but I kind of – um, if I'm hunting a buck, day, you know, day after day, I, I – kind of move my way in. I, n- I never hunt a same stand unless I have a, just a solid entry, you know. Let's say I walk up a creek right. and nothing can get behind me and smell me. I'm just, I'm way too paranoid about 
that big one being 200 yards downwind and then I'm sitting there hunting nothing, you know, I'm just, so I'm constantly moving, trying to catch him off guard. I just, I'm always worried he's going to, or, I mean, I'm huge on buck don't even smell you. Just smell your tracks going in, you know, a couple times and they, they'll pattern you. Um, I, I, I always use for reference when I was hunting down Zanesville area when I was younger, um, cleared out a tree stand and, and, um, climbed up in it and just I was cutting some branches so just some limbs right by my stand you know by my head I I I was cutting them just threw them down on the ground I think it was two or three days later I had just a dumb yearling buck come up the trail he came to them branches I cut like two three days prior he smelled them and kind of went into alert and that kind of taught me something, you know, just just a dumb yearling buck, you know. A doe can be smarter than most of them bucks. And he picked up my scent from two, three days earlier, just from touching the branch, grabbing it, holding it, and throwing it back wow. down on the ground. And, and that tells you what a, you know, older buck, you know, just right. just smelling your tracks going into that stand or or, you know. Just whatever. So I'm constantly moving. Um, I don't know. Unless I got a real solid spot, and then I'll go in two, three times or something. But sure. are you uh, so, saddle hunting, Scott? Are you hanging a climber or standing sticks, or what's your what's your route? There? Yeah, my my biggest thing is is standing sticks. Um, I've never tried the saddle. I have lots of friends that do. Nothing against them. I just haven't reached that point. I, I guess I sat in one for the first time at a couple trade shows this last year just haven't just haven't committed to it yet um but sticks i've i i had lone wolf sticks for years and i this this year i went to um the shakara shakara stick and um i really like that um and then i've i've kind of got into more of the modifying stuff i've got gators on some of my stuff on um you know, my sticks now to save weight because older I get, you know, that's what's hard about the public is just all the weight, you know, and I got bad back and, you know, just try to simple things up, lighten it up. And, yeah, um, yeah it's kind of been fun to messing around with different things. But um, back in the day, before I knew anything, I would use climbers, you know, but that really limits your trees and, you know, they're heavy. And um, I tried two, three of them. I think my lone wolf is the lightest one. I still have that, but I haven't used it in years. But, um, yeah, my own property, I mean, mainly stands that are, you know, preset. Um, preset, you know, maintain them. Um, you know, and then if something comes up, I mean, I own my own property, you know, cheaper stands some more medium stands. I just, I put out so many of them, you know, some guys, Dan Info, you know, the bucks will know every one of them stands, but not when you got 30, 30, 40 of them on a property, you know, (laughs) 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 you can't even own all of them. Yeah. (laughs) So you got a lot of different options, but (laughs) 
but that's a lot of work too. Just mean because you got to make sure they're you know they're taken care of, and oh, I usually yeah. restrap them every year and sure. and make sure the cables. I've even bought like chain chain and reinforce the cables on some of them. You know, I'll get a little u u uh, u bolt u clamp thing, and and then I'll run chain you know where the cables are. You know, if they've been sitting a while, it's a cheap way to do it. Buy two U bolts and go through the, the, you know, the upright and the in the stand, and I'll reinforce them with chain. The ones that are sitting, you know, on my own property, and um, you know, just things like that to make you know be safer. And, right. But so, have you killed the majority of your bucks in a? certain time frame do you see more success in say the early season or during the rut or late season what would you say your best part of the season is um on public land for years i would say most of them were during the rut um especially early on in my hunting career most of them rut um with my bow now, I've killed quite a few of them that mid-October with the muzzleloader out here, you know, hunting the bedding areas. Um, I was never a late-season guy because our public lands get hammered so much by um, gun hunters. You know, by then they were they were getting pretty spooked, and, you know, I was after – I wasn't going to be satisfied with three-year-old bucks, so I – you know that older buck is tough. So, but once I got my own land, I've transitioned. I think my most successful time is is late season for consistency because we can plant the food plots and all that. Sure. Where so the last five years I've kind of transitioned into more where I used to buy. We're allowed one gun tag in Iowa, one bow tag, one gun tag, and then a third tag for a landowner. So for years, I didn't have land. I could get my bow and gun. Well, I always got the early muzzle because I hunt in public because I didn't wait till late seasons. You know, it was tough. So I got that early muzzle, and I hammered a lot of big deer on public land with that. Well, now since I bought land, I've it, it was hard because I've killed a lot. I've killed three, four hundred seventy-inch deer early muzzle season, but it was hard Very giving nice. up that tag. But I have so many deer coming into my own place now during the late seasons. I have I can get a landowner tag, which is my shotgun tag, and then I save my statewide tag for late muzzleload season. So I, I wow. kind of transitioned into because of the food, you know. So now right. I'm, I give right. up that early muzzle tag. When I was a public land hunter, I love that, you know, because I didn't have much luck late season on public, but... Um, now, you know, food is king in the winter and, and, um, you know, we have, we can draw deer from, you know, I, my, my neighborhood I'm in is a tremendous deer area and, you know, a lot of, my one neighbor has, you know, seven, 800 acres and, you know, they only kill two, three bucks a year. And so there, it's a good, really good late season spot, but. So if that answers your question, kind of, sure. With a bow, with a bow, most of them probably that November period. Um, it's kind of harder to pattern them then, but I have killed some. Sometimes I'll, I'll go in. I've always said um, 
I've hunted specific bucks, and I've killed a couple of them, but I tend to, let's say one area has, you know, a good 160, 170 buck, but then I got another area that has three or four shooters, you know, so I'm not just trying to hunt one deer. My time is limited. Lots of times I can't, my business, I have a hard time finding help, and I'm, you know, half time I can't get time off work, and so I'm going to an area with, you know, three or four shooters before I hunt that one spist. He might even be bigger, but I got more of a chance to kill something if I'm in an area with three or four big bucks that I, you know, picked up on cameras or if I know they're there. So that's kind right. of. Right. And, that, and that's where the rut comes in, you know. It's harder to nail down a specific buck, but if you're in an area that has three, four bucks, your chance is kind of up that you're going to get one of them or, or it's just one of them areas that holds big deer in the rut. Um, sure. Yeah, so. Well, let's talk about your farm a little bit. Tell us, kind of walk us through what it looks like and uh, maybe what it looked like when you first bought the place and tell our listeners about about, uh, the layout. Okay. It's um, 240 acres. Um, It's got road road on two sides, a little little dead end on on the side where my houses are and the the one side's a east side's all um road frontage there but um it used to be i guess cattle pasture it's, it's it was old cattle ground well they they farmed some of it but you know basically it was a cattle farm with i don't know a few acres you know it's real hilly it's got a main drainage that goes through the the center of it and you know forks here and there um it's I have my CRP programs in it. I have sixty acres in you know a grass of CRP. Um, you know it, it back back when they did it. Um, I think it's been in CRP for I'm not mistaken two two different thirty years probably. It's when they quit running the cattle. Well, the back then they'd use, I'm not too good with some of my grasses, but I think it's a, called a, the brome, just a short, right. just a short kind of like no brome. good. Sure. Yeah, brome where they planted just for for uh, um, erosion and stuff like that is what basically my CRP is. It's kind of, I don't figure it good for much. Um, there is a couple fields in the back. I think it was a little bit different program that, that has a little bit more switchgrass in, but um, actually I was anxious for it to expire, which expired in October, but I got it renewed, so we're going with a whole new um, we got our um, three native grasses, I think um, blue stem, Indian, and, and switch, and then I, there's either seven or nine forbs um, is the mix I'm putting in, and we're going to be putting that in actually the spring of next year. I got a year extension on it just because we we weren't kind of prepared for it. We got a bunch of brush takedown and stuff, but I, I'm really excited about that because pheasants, quail, things I grew up with in Michigan when I was a kid, they disappeared, and we got a lot of them in Iowa if you got the right of habitat. And my neighbors, they got a lot of switchgrass and stuff. They have a few birds over there, and they come onto my place and my food plots on that side. But, you know, they really don't stay here because that brome is just 
you know, especially for pheasants, there's no good. Right. Um, we do got a few quail and the brushy stuff, but so I'm excited about this new, you know, CRP mix. I, I just, I love my wildlife and I can't wait to just have, you know, it's, it's really going to improve the pheasant habitat, um, quail, um, deer. I mean, just, just 60 acres of better bedding, you know, this, that brome, they, I mean, they might bet on the ridges close to cover, but it should increase my bedding area twofold and yeah I um so, for sure oh, yeah for sure. it Brian, should just be a that's huge like, that's like that farm we just did the land plan on for james in minnesota remember all that brome grassy yes. heads yep it's uh like you said scott they might bet on like a ridge near some cover but i mean that's not tall enough you know so for, for the yeah. deer so i still got that guy i'm gonna i'm gonna hook you up with that contact oh yeah He's got a 10-foot drill down there. Um, Brian, I've been talking to Jesse Knox a little bit, and he recommended a guy out towards Scott. So, Yeah, um, it's great. Oh, good. Yeah, so if anybody, yeah, you know, it's kind of cool about this whole podcast is just a network of yeah. guys that we all are. And, you know, I, when you when you just said, I, I always want to see more wildlife, and we started from our wildlife, you know, that just puts a smile on my face. So good yeah, for you I love for, that. I mean, for doing that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for you. <laughs> I, I just love animals, and, and it just having this farm last five years, it's just been uh, – I just love being out there every day and taking care of it, and it's it's, it's huge having your own property. I, I mean, I've always been a conservationist and, you know, that type, but having your own property, it just – it's just great. I love it. and um, Yeah. But, yeah, and then I – also back on that subject, I got 40 acres in, in a tree program. Um, they renewed that a couple years before I bought the place. It's like, I guess that was for erosion control too. Like that's closer to all the creeks and stuff. They planted, uh, like walnuts and, and walnuts and oaks and, um, ash. I lost all my ash here this last year or two, but, um, yeah, they, there's 40 acres in that. So that, that, that's, you know, right along the creeks, that prevents, you can never, you know, plant there, do nothing. So that's a great program, and, and the government, you know, gives me rental payment on that, too. That's, that just went into its third term on that, so before I bought the place. And, wow. Um, yeah, so that's huge. The, I, I think those been, like, 30 years. Some of my oaks, I mean, they're, you know, some of them got, I don't know, eight, nine-inch trunks on them, you know. They're... Some of them starting to produce a little bit. I can't tell you all the kinds. I know, you know, I, I kind of know my white from a red, but I'm not, you know, huge on every, I know, shingle oak and just some of the basic ones. But, um, so, yeah, that's, I, I like, that's what I have for CRP. Um, I don't have a lot of big timber. We got one we call the knob. There's probably 20 acres of primarily oaks up there it's a big knob up high um with some um few elms down low i'm trying to think of the one we hinge cut all the time um um, yeah i know it it's it's a real bumpy bark they're everywhere out here um i think they even got a little barrier or something on them um we hinge them and or cut them down, you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I can't. Um, 
can't think of the name of it, but we kind of get rid of them, you know. They're not not much use for them. But, I mean, as far as browse for deer, they're great. You know, that's why we hinge some of them. But um, <clears throat> And we have six ponds on the property. Um, there was five when I bought the place. Um, there, none of them are real big. The biggest one's probably an acre. And they average from a half acre to an acre. Um, we did um, um, make one pond in the back of the property. When um, I wanted to get a food plot in this very back north northeast corner, and the first year I had the place, we could get a quad across. But that was about it. It was starting to wash out, and, you know, it was getting bad. We had a five-inch rain that summer, and that completely took her out. And I'm like, what am I going to do? So I said, I called an excavator in, in the area, and, and I said, we got to fix this. Got to make some way for me to, you know, get a tractor across there. And we started talking and ended up, you know, why don't we put a little pond in here, even if it's only a quarter acre, you know, for a couple thousand dollars more, instead of just putting a driveway across there, we can have a water source back in that corner of the pond. And that's kind of what we did. We, he, you know, did his work, fixed the washout, made a little pond there, just a water hole basically, 10 foot deep, and, you know, run his tile and drain tile out, and nice dike for me to go across. And now I can get tractors up in there and then, um, actually last year was the first year I planted alfalfa on the farm. We got, we put in two fields, oh. like acre fields of Roundup Ready alfalfa and kind of really excited. Came in pretty good last year for the first year and, um, you know, really excited to see how that does this year because I, I noticed over the years if, if just driving around the countryside, if, if there's an alfalfa field, and there's a bean field next to it. Them bucks are always in the alfalfa field. So, um, yeah, I, gonna, to me, they like pick them stuff. over. Yeah. So, kind of excited about that. Um, but yeah, that was another thing, the pond. And, um, yep, it's, that's kind of the, you know, the, oh, what else do I got here? Um, yeah, the layout of the farm and, um, different things I have and there is on one of the ponds out back there's a um that's kind of get into the old family that owned it there was when I bought it five years ago um the lady had just passed away I think she passed at 100 years old 99 or 100 I think she was good for her and she yeah she lived there um you know since the 60s I think she raised Five. I think she had five kids. Um, her husband passed away in the 70s, and she maintained that farm. Okay, yeah, I was talking um, um the owners of the land about the lady that owned the land, and um, she lived to be 100. And, and when she passed away, the um, there was five kids, the oldest boy, Bill. Um, he was in his mid-70s, I think, and I was dealing with him on getting the farm, and and they, um, he was, he had broke his back when he was young, and he was the one that mainly, him and his brother hunted on the farm. There was three girls, 
And the boys didn't really want to sell the farm because they haunted it. But, you know, the, some of the girls had, you know, needed the money. And, and so ended up they put the farm up for sale. And, and Bill was pretty much handicapped. He had to get around and hunt with a quad. So he didn't do a lot of work on the farm, not a lot of, you know, serious hunting, drive to a food plot with his quad. And so the kind of, it was pretty raw when I got it, you know, there was a couple of spots, existing spots with food plots, but we kind of, you know, we where they were, I think the biggest buck he'd ever killed was 150 inch deer in 20, 30 years of hunting, you know? And when we took over, we were killing, you know, two, three, couple bucks a year that were five year old deer, you know? So it was kind of, you know, how we set it up and how we hunted it and stuff like that. But we did a lot of improvements and, um, I still friends, Bill passed away here. Um, the oldest sibling passed away last year, but I still keep in contact with some of the sisters. They stop by and see the old farmstead and it's really nice to keep an open, you know, relationship with the old owners. So. Yeah, that's great to have that history and uh, yeah, be able to experience all that. Now, looking yeah. back in the last five years, could you pinpoint a couple of mistakes and maybe some things that you wish you would have done different and then uh, walk us through some of your better successes too? Um, I guess some of the things I've done um, and just some minor, you know, things I do different. Like fruit trees. Um, I grew up in Michigan, so we always had apple trees and pear trees. And out in Iowa, you don't, you don't. I remember I could go in any woodlot in Michigan, and there'd be an apple tree. We hunted by apple trees when we were kids. You always look for them little old orchards. They'd be out in the middle of nowhere. Out here, I came out here, I couldn't find an apple tree anywhere. I think Johnny Appleseed got lost out here or something. You know, there, there was nothing ever wild out here. I mean, it's rare, and I still don't find any, you know. And so I I ended up, you know, I got my that first year. I, I made an order for 200, um, 200 fruit trees, and and 95% of them were pear. Um, just guys I talked to, friends of mine, you know, they said they were the easiest to grow out between pears and apples. Um, less maintenance, um, you know, more disease resistance. So I went with pear, um, you know, three or four different varieties. I tend to go with more of the later season, you know, from some of these pear species I get, you know, October, November, December, January drops, um, just different. Um, that was one thing I did. I planted 200 of them. Me and, uh, my friend Steve Noble from Maximum Outdoor TV, he came and, I I pulled my um, I had tendonitis real bad at the time. Like I got it a couple of weeks before I got these trees. I couldn't even hold. I couldn't even use my hammer at work. Yeah, it was so bad. That's miserable. Yeah, and Steve came out, and my buddy lent me a one man auger thing. And Steve came out. He manned that auger all day long. We got two hundred holes in, just kind of various spots. Um, I plant 10, 12 in an area, more kind of winter food plots, um, um, you know, on the edges or in draws, you know, just most of them were late winter to supplement, you know, the deer coming into late winter. There is a couple for bow stands or stuff like that, but 
that was my primary purpose. And so, yeah, no, that year we tree tubed them all. Um, it was a lot of work, you know, I have fenced them before and, um, but we tree tubed, used tree tubes and pretty successful. I have some areas where wind tunnels would come in and rip them tubes up a couple spots. I've lost a few, but I would say 75% of them are alive to this day. And, and that was five years ago. A lot of them this year are, are probably 12, 12, 14 foot high and getting some decent, you know, two to three inch girth, three inch girth on some of them. Um, probably last year I had a couple pairs this year, maybe a little more. Um, Scott, I mean, 75%, that's, that's looking pretty good. I mean, yeah, for the most part, probably not to, to my buddy Frank over at, at Morris nursery, but he's, he runs the nursery. He could probably do better than, than, than me, but I'm more, I'm more at like the probably 60 to maybe 60, 75% range overall. I mean, I just yeah. feel like if you can't get down there and water them so much right off the bat that it's kind of a, a tough bet, you know. I got lucky. I mean, we've got we've got time. Most of these I plant are bare root, you know, so we'd plant them oh, like yeah. this, last, this last weekend I just put in. I got tougher. every year since we've been buying a few to fill in the bad ones. Last week we got 20, 20 um, pears and five crab apples. So we put them in, you know, March, ground still real wet. And I've had pretty good. I've had better success with bare root um, because we're planting really? them in early March. Then sometimes I'll go in, you know, if one dies, I'll go in and buy some of the the planted ones in Lowe's yeah, or Menards. Uh, and I've, I've struggled worse with them because, you know, I get them in later and, and they, uh, the drought probably they just don't take but well yeah uh, i think i could i think i could probably uh shot a, a little bit of light on that from from what we've learned as uh as habitat you know managers on the podcast what we yeah. figured out from talking to the experts is that the the potted plants are probably a um a great success rate but like you said the uh the bare root you're getting those in earlier you know you get those in while they're still dormant yeah. And some of the some of the potted stuff from the Lowe's and the Home Depots, even though mine have worked out, um, those are subject to a lot of different damage and, and whatnot. And and the rootstock is different on those than yeah. like some some of the bare rootstock stuff you're buying. The rootstock is probably better on on that. Yeah, that's root. what I've understood too. Yep, definitely. Yep. Um, I mean, but you seem to be doing pretty good overall in terms that, of percentage, man. Seventy five percent. That's great. I would say that was one of my kind of disappointments, and I learned a lot about it just last weekend, was um, I did that initial 200, you know, then I kind of got 20 here, 20 there. I think it was two years ago we put in, I don't know, 2025, kind of filled in a couple that died, and then we planted some new ones. Well, I didn't have as many, so, you know, I had a couple problems in areas with the wind tunnels where they ripped them tubes up. So we actually, I pick up woven fence all the time, you know, here and there. And I, I, I did like 20 or so two years ago with a woven fence. And then I put, I get a lot of that gutter downspout perforated, you know, black stuff. I put around the trees. There were little trees, two, three foot high. Well, Instead of the tree tube, I just put kind of that. I knew the deer couldn't get in and rub it, but I thought, well, I can spray better around them, around the fence, you know, the the woven fence, and and put that tube on there. Well, this year we had such deep snow. I just went in and checked them last weekend. A lot of them ones, 
and mice got into them and girdled a bunch of them, you know, like 20 or, well, not all 20, but 10, 15 of them. I think the snow was so deep and they were warm. They, they, you know, they were black and, and most of them, there was one, I mean, they practically ate this. It was an inch and a half round tree, practically ate it right. I mean, it tipped over, they ate right through it. And, um, so, I mean, that was kind of a lesson for me. I took all the, 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 um, you know, drainage tiles off them ones that were in the fence and I'm kind of experimenting, um, you know, maybe leave them off and just, you know, I just, if I spray in there, I got to be careful, but that's kind of where my tree tubes, I've only lost a couple from girdling, um. I don't, because the tree tubes, I can actually kind of stick down in the ground and get dirt around them. So the mice, for some reason, they don't climb to the top, you know. Right. Um, I don't know. It's, yeah, I, I have I've lost very few to tree girdling off tubes, but I mean, that one spot, I went in last weekend, there was like 10 trees and they girdled, the, you know, there's mouse nets and every one of the little drain things and they girdled them up pretty good. I'm hoping most survived because they didn't girdle, you know, all the way around the bark. There was two they did, but most of them were just part way. Actually, I'm gonna get a. I ordered a pruning spray that I'm gonna spray them. I don't know if you've ever tried that before, but it's like a sealer, you know, for pruning or damaged areas on the bark. It's a, a black. I, I used it years ago, but I kind of found it online this week, and I ordered one. Hopefully, it comes in Friday so I can spray them trees while they're still, you know, pretty fresh and kind of puts a protectant on it so disease and stuff can't get in it but um so yeah that's one thing i done the fruit trees and you know something i learned um um another thing we've improvements um might say it wrong my english isn't the best mccanthus grass or oh yeah mccanthus yeah yeah you got it mccanthus you know mccanthus i've planted oh four Four or five thousand, maybe six thousand um, roots, yeah. ro- ro- rotazone or whatever you call yeah, them. The rhizomes, yeah. <laughs> rhizomes. Where, are getting, where, where are you getting those? I, at, I actually buy them through Maple Grove. There, that's probably not far from you, is it? No, it ain't far at all. It's here in Michigan. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's where I've been buying them. Usually, us and some friends go in on them over the years, and um, I I didn't plan any this year, but. Um, yeah, I've planted a lot of my property for access routes into beans or into, you know, food plots, um, um, you know, round blinds, round tower blinds, around, I just, my property's scattered with it. I really like it. It's just amazing stuff. I mean, the only thing that will take it down, we had some ice storms, you know, two winters ago in the middle of winter and it kind of ratted it up pretty good, but. Other than that, I mean, that stuff's just amazing. It's, for me, I mean, some people say they're scared because it's evasive, but I don't think it, you know, it fills in and it don't spread, you know, so. Yeah, there's um, there's a few different takes on it. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of people are worried that it's been invasive or, or a non-native. and uh, Yeah, well, I can understand a, non-native. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, it might be a non-native. Um you know the 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 claims are for these companies like Maple River or even um, others is it's that this is a sterile version, and yep. uh, you know there's I have some on my farm I planted it a couple of years back um, 
I see the advantages. I also see how other things in our world that were non-natives or invasives have also been, you know, deemed yeah, okay exactly. and then gotten out of hand. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, there's, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a couple sides to every story, and um, yeah. just do your research I, is, is all I recommend. But, yeah, I just I mean, figure, you know, if, if it ever did come a problem, it's something, that, you know, in the spring, you can just drive yeah. over it with Roundup or whatever and yeah, just kill right. it off, you know. It, it don't simple. spread fast. Yeah, don't spread fast enough to, I mean, some things, you know, autumn olive or some of them yeah, other, like you know, honey suckles, you know? Yeah. yeah, those will go crazy. Where this, it's just such a slow growth that just hit her with Roundup or something, you know. Oh, you, Scott, I think you're right. I think I probably killed some of mine already with Roundup just by accident. <laughs> I have, too. Yeah, one of my plots. Yeah, I'm trying to get it up, and I I swing far and hit it, but, <laughs> so, but um. Have you had any real, real good habitat management successes where it might have even put you in front of a, a good buck? You were a friend or a family member on your farm that you're like, all right, I created this little this little pocket here, and it's working good. Um, anything like that come to mind? Just that, that place I call the Oak Knob. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's a good bedding area for every year. There's a big buck in there, and um, – just this last year, we went through, especially down low, we cu- we caught a lot of the, you know, just undesirable trees. We I hinge cut quite a bit of them um, just to put browse on the ground, you know, some bedding areas. I, I've listened to, you know, that's another, you know, controversy thing. Some guys swear by it. I just, I, I kind of... I guess I don't. I watch some of these guys. I kind of, you know, do it my way. But I kind of try to make a bedding area, uh, knock them down certain ways, and then I'll always go back through. And I mean, I'll I'll chainsaw all their trails open, so I'm not blocking their travel at all. Um, you know, I just don't knock it down to make a mess. Um, and then I do a variety. I I just herbic trodon or whatever. Um, I've used that, you know, hack and squirt methods. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of trees I'm kind of nervous about felling or they're too big. I, I've had a lot of success with that in the last two years. Um, and some of them just straight out cutting down. But, yeah, that's one spot, like, in, in that hillside. I've made a lot of cover, and I've really noticed. I mean, it was always a big buck hangout. But now I've been there this spring. Actually, we found one of our older mature bucks, and they're dead. And, oh, no. Uh, it, yeah, he was shed, he was shed, but I think I know which one he was. My boy was passing him late season, and he looked pretty sick then. He had a swelled up face and limping, and he we found both his sheds by the food plot, but we found a body up there, and he had real big base, you know, pedestals, and I think it might be him. But um, yeah, I mean, it's provided uh, that's kind of my hunting spot on the farm for bedding, and, and just that improvements we done. I, I it's going to do nothing but good it just makes a you know or it was kind of open before it's thickened it up and we're kind of you know it will let some light to some of the lot of oaks in there for feed up high too and um you know that's one thing as far as you know chainsawing and stuff we have besides you know our normal food plots and stuff like that you know to bring them in but um and I can't, our CRP is going to be a whole new thing, you know, this new, you know, I think that's going to be huge for 
Oh, that's got to be the most cited thing. I, I can't wait to get this new mix in, you know, as far as just wildlife in general, you know. No, I mean, especially all that cover. I mean, they say the um, – I said it before, but what I've heard is some of the best, you know, deer or whitetail habitat is, you know, early successional or upland bird habitat. So I think yeah. CRP. Whenever I hear CRP and you can get paid for it. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I I wish I had the the amount of acres where I could do that and I would be doing it. So maybe if I'm in yeah. farm I will. But uh, yeah, so I mean you're gonna have 60 acres of that plus you know 180 acres yep. of everything else. That's whoo, buddy. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I can't wait. Yep, it should do. I mean, our they say five years. What well, I've heard five years to get a farm good and set up. We hit our fifth year. But we got knocked back last year with EHD this summer before. So kind of, you know, that mature, our deer herd was just growing in shoots and bounds that first two, three years. You know, the bucks were getting age and they're really moving into our plates. We had food. We had a variety of, you know, we had summer, you know, our clover plots, a lot of them. We had our um, late season foods. Um, you know, beans and, and brassicas and sugar beets and and deer were just piling in and, and you call my place home and then we got hit with the HD so it kinda it kinda really hurt, you know, losing that age structure and um but you so know set it that, back. that EHD you mentioned, um you know, I saw a video with you and and the KFP team about using that that AquaShield product in some of your, yep. your ponds on your farm. I guess before we get into the wrap-up about the favorite tree question and, and my favorite stuff there, let's hear about your EHD, how it impacted your farm. Uh, I mean, I know when I hunted <laughs> Iowa in 2020, I'm sorry, 2019, EHD hit their bed. We found multiple bucks, um, multiple does, the, the whole thing. And I think you did too. What what drove you to to try this AquaShield product and and like I guess tell me the story behind it and, and why you're doing it and what you see now. Uh, my friend Steve Noble from Maxim Outdoors, he's partnered up with um, Killer Food Plots, and so he's in you know constant communication with them. And um, uh, yeah, what's his name again? Um, the owner of Killer Killer Food yeah, Plots there, um, Nick. Over Nick. Yeah, Nick. Yep. Nick Percy. Yep. I'm bad at names. I'll forget them if you know. Oh, <laughs> I gotta say them over and over. But yeah. So Steve approached me because you know we're good friends, and um, he's at my farm a lot. And he approached me about trying the product, and well, he you know told me about it that they were coming out with it, and and then when it came out, he approached me. Do you want to try this in your ponds? You know, and I said yes, yeah, sure. I mean anything. I'm kind of desperate, you know, for trying anything at this point, you know, because I'd lost yeah, like, um, summer desperate? before. Yeah, yeah, because we lost 30. I think we were up to about 30, give or take 30-some deer I found that summer, that summer and fall um, on my farm and going into spring, you know, shed hunting that following spring. but And, and nine at least nine bucks that were either on my place or 
like a couple of them I found, the neighbor will let us go in and shed hunt after he, you know, after they get done for the year. They're from Michigan. They'll let us go in after. And I found a couple bucks on his that I had cameras, you know, so that I had history and nine bucks. And, and I mean, one was a five-year-old 160 inch deer. I had three years of history and, um, one was a f- couple four-year-old bucks and some three-year-old bucks. I mean, it was just a, a, like you feel like you got punched in the gut. We'd come down to the farm, and it just smelled like death. I mean, from, like, uh, August. Our our house, there's a, a creek coming out of the neighbors that were cattle are. And um, we found five six, seven, eight of them, just right within 100, 200 yards of the house. The biggest buck I found, 200 yards from the house, and you could just, you drive up and down the roads, and it just it just smelled like death. I mean, just rotten smell everywhere you went, and uh, you drive through the property, and that's all you start, start smelling. And you just start trying to follow the wind until you find a carcass, you know. It was just, it was terrible. Um, we'd go over to the public land pieces. I was hunting two 175 inch deer on a public land piece close to me and, and probably a 160 some eight point. They were batchered up. I had all kinds of history on the fall before and, you know, camera detail, everything. Man, this, I think in this fall would be, I'm going to hammer these deer, you know. The neighbor found both of them dead of EHD within 100 yards on the private property by his pond that summer. And, like, I was sick. You know, everything I was after was dying. And so, yeah, Steve approached me about the Aqua Shield trying it. And, um, yep, he, he, he had um, quite a bit to treat all my ponds that day. And then I had a little bit left where um, – I followed up 30 days on a couple of the ponds, my most important ones, and um, um, we, you know, reapplied it on a couple of the important ones, and um, and you know, just kind of watching. I noticed, you know, the especially this year, some of that muck level. I don't know the the chemistry of it. I know there, there's back to a healthy. It's not a chemical. It's it's a natural bacteria or something that yeah yep. yeah that eats right. the pond yeah eats eats up the, all that pond muck you see in the bottom of the ponds it, it reacts with it and kind of works on getting rid of all that muck so it clean it don't have a place for the midge flies to breed is kind of the concept of it they need muck you know that pond muck to to breed and establish it, it cleans that that bacteria will eat that muck up and don't um, quote me on that. I'm not, you know, <laughs> just kind of what I understand a little bit. But, um, so, yeah, it just cleans up that, and, and that's kind of the idea behind, um, um, you know, the product is, and I thought, you know, anything anything is a plus. It, uh, you know, if it works sure. a little, if it works a lot, you know, it's, it, it's doing something to clean up my pond, and not only for the deer, you know, me and my family, we've, you know, the kids, 
kids these days, you know, they go in the pond, that mucky feeling in their toes. They're not like us old timers that didn't care, you know. They're a little bit more, <laughs> <laughs> a little more, more saucy face, you know. Right, and, uh, right. That cleans that up. So, yeah, it's better fishing or, you know, swimming. Um, it just, it's good for the overall health of the pond. So, um, I mean, basically, you know, that's, that's it. So I'll keep continuing yeah. this year. We'll, well, well, I don't know the exact prices. I mean, it wasn't if you got one or two ponds, you know, it, it isn't that bad, you know. If you if you do it, um, I don't know, three four times a year or something. I'm not. No, you're you know you're you're right on board. Um, I know that it's it's a newer product. Uh, it's only you know a couple three years out from KFP. I know I've been using it in my smaller watering holes, and it seems to clear the water right up. Um, oh yeah. So it's it's I, I know that much. Um, yeah. I, I like like you like you. I'm not a, a scientist. I'm not doing water testing or or anything like that. But um, if if you can add some good bacteria to a pond, I mean, you can listen to our our episode with Zach Haas um, a, a ways back. He talks about that doing that too. So this is a, oh yeah a great thing good. to introduce to your pond because that bacteria. I think, if I remember correctly, fights the um, the larvae and the things that are brooding at the bottom, which you know yep. help feed the midge and and the reason the midge is all there, which creates the EHG and passes that. So, yeah, I'm probably off base a little bit on that, but it's, it's been a minute. But I think uh, you know at least, at least you're trying something. Sure. Yeah, right. yeah, and, and at least you're, you're trying something. You're trying to improve and you're yeah, exactly. trying to make it better. By spending a few bucks and, and clearing your water up, so you know yeah. you're doing the same thing we're all doing, just trying to better our properties, whatever way we can, you know. Yep, exactly. That's what it's about. Yep, if you have a care and love for your property, you know you'll um, do whatever it takes to make things Absolutely. better. Exactly, and we're always looking for stuff to improve. So that's just um, yep another thing. You got six ponds and. 240 acres, Scott. You're a blessed man. Good for you for working yeah. your butt off and, yeah. and getting out there yeah. and take, taking a chance because uh, that's pretty awesome, buddy. Yeah, I'm just kind of average Joe, too. I, I, I talk about a lot of the na- neighbors in my neighborhood. You know, they're all multimillionaires, and you know, they can afford that stuff. I had to bust my butt for every every little thing I've ever acquired, you know, and I, I'm to the point where I quit you know, buying all these brand new vehicles and toys all the time just so I could have my property. You know, I came up with this yep. down payment and, um, yeah, I've just kind of a simple guy that pounds nails for a living, but I, I made it work, you know. Amen, buddy. So, well, good for you, man. How, how bad do you want it? That's what it all comes down to. So, yeah. Yep. Now I, I have one more, one more question for you before we wrap up here. Um, You've listened to the show before, so you probably know what's coming. But I want to I want to know your favorite tree. Now, this could be hunting the public out there, getting back to those locust, you know, thickets. This could be private land apple trees or pear trees you planted. Hit me with your your favorite tree. No questions asked. <laughs> Can I come up with a couple of them for different scenarios? That's, that's fine. Yes, sir. Please do. Um. I've always had a thing for um, 
for for as far as making scrapes, tree stands, and I just I is a shingle oak. Um, I didn't know what they were when I first got. I seen all these. I, actually, we toured Bill Winky's farm. I did the Q, QDMA. Um, 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 yeah, the program. The what's QDMA? Um, um, the deer steward, maybe. Yeah, the deer steward. Yep, I did that a few years ago out here. They actually they had it right by in Iowa here. So I went to that program. We went to Bill Winky's property for our field day. And, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, a thousand acres, you know, and, um, um, that's actually where I met, you know, some of the hunting public. I think I knew Aaron before that. I knew Aaron before that. I'm good friends with most all the hunting public guys, but I met most of them over there, or a couple of them at Winkies, and, and then we've just built a friendship since then. But, um, yeah, I asked him, what's this tree? I'd see it all over because it didn't have an oak-type leaf. He says, that's a shingle oak. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. You know, it's kind of an oblong leaf. And, well, since then, people told me they make great scrape trees. I put scrape trees in all my food plots. Um, actually, some guys bury them or, you know, to me, that's a lot of work. I take a steel fence post and cut down a shingle oak atop of a, you know, nice 10-foot tree and I just wire it to the fence posts and you know I'm looking at saving time and getting as many of them as, as I can and and you know for cameras or I've even hunted a lot and had bucks come right into my mock scrape scrape trees you know and shingle oak will hold its leaves forever I mean so do most oaks but them shingle oaks are just a dime a dozen on my plates they're just everywhere so I've kind of liked that for the fact you know they're um my scrape trees, I love them. Um, and, and if I can get one up in them, they hold their leaves so much. And they also have little acorns on, you know, they're always loaded. Um, so the deer like them too, but, um, that's kind of my favorite tree for, you know, hunting and scrape things. And, and a cedar would be a close second. Um, I didn't grow up in Michigan with many cedars. I came out here and I love them. I mean, some people like you go for further south, People like Missouri. Yeah, like Missouri and stuff like that. They hate them because they're so evasive. But here, you know, they just seem like a good medium. They are they provide winter habitat, you know. Um, I love the smell of evergreens and, and, you know, they make good scrape trees. But, um, but as far as, like, hunting, I guess I'm just back to the same old boring white oak or something, you know, because I'm, you know, I get me especially on public lands, you know, in October, I get in these white oak, these white oak areas, you know, and I look for that white, white acorn tree and, and, um, you know, the deer just love them. And I've, some of them big deer I've killed have been coming into some of them, you know, I mean, mainly the white oak, but I guess there's sometimes a variety of oaks in some of them groves and, but, so, I mean, I'm excited about my fruit trees. I like them, too. But as far as the everyday tree. Um, so, yeah, I guess to hunt over, I like the white oak. And and for, you know, tree stands, um, scrape trees, I love that shingle oak. Do you guys know what the shingle oak is? I think there's another name for it, I think. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I don't I don't know if we have many in Pennsylvania, but I've, I've yeah. come across it. 
I've yeah, heard of like that. A, I'm not that familiar with it, to be honest with you. I'm wondering if there is another name. Um, Pitt. You know, that I might have heard it classified as before. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I don't I, – I thought maybe people were talking about the pin oak too, but I think it's different. It has an oblong leaf like an elm or something. It's, I it's, see that. It's, it's all, yeah, it's almost like an elm yeah, leaf it's like or a chestnut, um, chestnut leaf. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. 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 And, I mean, they just grow by the thousands. My property is just full of them out here. And, and they, uh, they get – I don't think they get big and towering like – some of your bigger oaks, but they get decent size, and and they're just awesome for holding old leaves, and and they get a ton of nuts on them. And um, I think you, I but, think you're right. I think um, Brian, do you remember what Jesse, what his favorite tree was? He meant Jesse Knox. He said another oak as well that was similar to. That. I remember that. I was listening to that the other day. We've asked this a hundred times, so I'm, I got them all mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's another I think name it was for it. Pin, I think it was Chicken Yeah. Pin, yeah, Scott. Way I to think go, so. Scott. Way, way to help yeah, him. Yeah, because <laughs> that's the low, like, bushy type one. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what this is. Weird. Yeah, I, yeah. And this I is think, a book. Uh, hmm. Either way, either way I, I appreciate that, Scott, because I haven't heard, uh, haven't heard that yet, so... Imagine that after how many episodes we're still getting new trees. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So thank Bill Winky for that one. He sparked my interest in him. Yeah, he's, yeah, did you he's, have he's was that, Did you have Bill on the show? Yeah, we had he him did. on episode yeah. one hundred. Um, okay, yeah, I've heard him on a few shows, but I thought I heard him on yours too. He's just such a great, humble guy, and then he's, sure he's the best I think out there. He's so humble and down to earth, and you know, don't have any drop of arrogance or. Or anything, can on me. No, I know, and that's how that's how I like them, and that's how yeah. um, you know that's how you both are, and um, that's how I try to be. And and I know that I was coming back from Bear Camp this this last fall, and Brian's like, I got our episode 100 guest. It's uh, you know, huh. it's Bill Winkle. Cool. I'm like, no shit, that's that's awesome. So, <laughs> Brian, Heck great yeah. job on that again. We're we're gonna try to get Bill back on in the future for some more some more stuff obviously yeah, definitely. um but uh yeah, no, yeah. He's, he's a great guy and he just you know how bad do you want it he started from from the ground yeah. too and, and came up and just made it happen so these yeah stories he, of guys like you and him are, are just awesome yep and he's 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 um spawned a lot of great guys out there through his oh, you sure. know interns of hunting public guys some of them um i'm oh, friends yeah. with um um friends with Jared Mills and, and um Josh um Sparks, yep, yeah. um yeah Josh Sparks and, and I've got to know Drake Drake from from them and yeah I've got to know a bunch of guys that work for them and they're just most of them are just really great guys. I mean you can't absolutely ask for better a young yeah, especially young guys, you know. Um most of them guys are pretty young and they're just they're really good people. Yeah. Yep. Hundred percent. We've also met those gentlemen, and they are uh, the cream of the crop. So, especially yeah. for, like, like you said, the the young age to yep. have that much humbleness and just it's be, nice um, to see for sure. Yeah, exactly what I'm trying to say. Yep. Yeah. Well, shoot, Scott. We appreciate you coming on, brother. That was a that was an awesome episode. Um, anything else you want to say before we wrap this up? 
I don't think so. Just got to thank you for having me on, and I tried to do my best. I get a little nervous sometimes. But <laughs> no, you did great, man. Excellent. Did great. Yeah, I enjoy telling my yeah, I'm enjoy telling my story. And, yeah, yep, sounds good. And um, yeah, I just I I like I like talking and sharing my story about hunting and. Um, you know, I run into so many people that just are, you know, they want to keep their secrets to themselves. I've kind of been bashed for talking about public hunting and why do you, you know, we have enough public land hunters, but that isn't what it's about to me. It's about, you know, spreading the hunting traditions and, you know, whether public lands get more crowded around me or not, it's just more about getting kids into the sport. And, you know, it ain't all about me. That's most of these people that gripe are, they're selfish and, it's it's about everybody, all the other sure. hunters out there, you know. It's it's I get here all the time, you know. Well, why do you get out and talk about this or talk about that or there's such secretives in, in hunting, and I, to me that's not what it's about. It's it's you know it's it's I would want to see young kids getting into this, you know. It'll it will save them. I mean, I had some pretty troubled times when I was young, and I'm glad I. You know, I always was into hunting, but that's what took me back to my roots, you know, got me out of that, some of them troubled areas. And, you know, if you can, it's it's just a great thing to get into, so. For sure. And yep. keep me posted on that alfalfa project. I just posted an article on our Habitat Journal on our webpage about uh, Roundup Ready Alfalfa. So definitely oh, okay. looking forward to seeing what you come up with. Yeah, definitely. Now, I heard so a uh, podcast the other day. I don't know if it was Higgins or I don't know what it was. They were talking about Roundup Alfalfa to do it correctly. You know, like clover, you can just mow, kind of keep it in perspective. But alfalfa, you know, I don't. The way they were, the way I gathered it, they were talking. That's why you have a farmer come in and bail it, just because you can't have the duff laying around from brush hogging. Well, a couple of these fields, I mean, I do have a guy take off some of my grass hay, but and I'm going to have him bail the one alfalfa field, but the other one we can't get equipment to. So whatever show I was listening to, they were kind of like, you know, there was so much maintenance, you pretty much had to bail it. You know, to get the yeah. so there wasn't duff land. Have you, have you heard anything like that, or what's your opinion? Or yeah, man, I think a lot to... of it has to do with your deer density. Uh, the stuff that yeah. I've planted has all been smaller fields. I've never planted yeah. anything large, but uh, my deer have always kept it mowed for me, so I haven't had oh, an yeah. issue. But yeah, yeah I'm sure well, if, you, if if you get too big of a field that they can't keep up with, I'm sure that that would probably affect it for sure. Yeah, well, it would be experimental for me, especially that back one. I mean, if I have to, I'll just brush hog it a little bit more maybe so that, you know, we'll just – the one field yeah. the farmer takes off the grass, hey, so I'll just have them zip through in normal times and, you know. Absolutely. Um, Put a couple extra take bucks off. in your pocket. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In fact, I got like right, 10, 15 acres and just grass ridge tops that – the farmer comes in and, and bales it, and then I get half the hay, and then usually I sell it back to him. But I'm thinking, you know, if this alfalfa works out, talk to him maybe and put all my grass fields in the alfalfa. Absolutely. And, 
Yeah, and that would really be huge for bringing deer in my place in the summer too. If you know, I got 15 acres of alfalfa, so right. right. Oh man, yeah, that'll yeah, work. that'll work. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I never brought that up. There is some, you know, grass, just grass ridge tops that the only kind of you know that farmer works on. There's right 15 acres of, you know, it's just a grass hay, and and they come in and bale it up, but. You might. That's why I'm kind of doing these two test areas. Might convert it all into alfalfa. It's a little expensive, but you know, if the farmer wants to do a cost share on, you know, splitting the cost seed and the work and stuff like that, and then he takes a crop, you know, and I guess whatever we work it out, you know, then it'd be huge. So we'll see how that goes. Well, heck yeah, Scott. I I think you're on to. You've you've been on to something good out there, so nothing I'm going to say that you're already not doing. You guys are doing awesome out there. So I like how you're bringing the family out, you know, from Michigan, your son, everybody, just and getting them into it. And you're just another white-tailed nut like the rest of us, so I appreciate you coming on and and shedding your light. And, uh, you know, we'll keep in touch and hopefully have you on again soon. Um, If you have any questions ever, you know, I'm – let us know. We'd love to keep in touch and, and keep this thing going. So thanks again so much. Yep. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Scott. Yep. Good night. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, habitatpodcast.com, we have our Habitat property consultation services on there under the land plan tab. Check out our HP land plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at habitatpodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. We have Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plot. The Habitat Hook. Realtree United Country Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. And Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers.
once in a while it's fun to go with like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun. Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.